Father, you are holy, God. You're worthy of our praise. Thank you, God, for for a reason to sing and for a hope. God, you you offer us a hope and a rescue. Father, you, you see inside of us and you see all the hurt that we have, the pain that we go through that we don't want to show anybody else, God. You can see that and you already know. We're not going to hide anything. So God, I pray that that we would be able to surrender tonight. Surrender every single day, God, the things that we hold on to. Uh, I pray that that we understand what it means whenever you say, seek first the kingdom. In order for that to be true, we have to let go of ourselves. Let go of everything that we want. Everything that we hold dear and valuable, God. In your eyes, it's meaningless. But it's to seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added to you. God, you, you say that you, you care about our desires and you care about what we want. We just ask that we praise you that we acknowledge who you are. All the time we acknowledge that you are God and no one else. You alone are worthy of our praise, God. You alone can save us. Nobody else can. Father, we thank you tonight for that. Thank you for the constant hope that you give us. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, excuse me. You can be seated. Thank you. It was great. Great song. <laughs> yeah, very meat and satin. Yeah, there you go. Lay me down on a bed of roses. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Some of you guys don't listen to country music, and now you think I'm a nerd. That's okay. It's totally cool. I'm from Amarillo, so it's just kind of inbred in us what we have to listen to. We drove trucks, we wore boots, we listen to country music. So it's just how it is. Anyways, uh, we're going to be in Mark 6 and in John 6 today. We've been uh, been going through, we did seven weeks in Malachi, and we've done the first two weeks of the book of Mark, which we will go back and, and continue. But two of all of those what is it, nine weeks, we've talked about sacrificial giving. In Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, we addressed the issue of what they were giving and what they weren't giving what they were supposed to be giving. Uh, and there were at least two different occasions in Malachi when God addresses the people and says, you're not giving me what I've told you to give me. Not only that, but you're not bringing your best to the table. Uh, and it was a... Um, it was a message to them to repent, to stop doing that. And then we moved over and began to talk about the book of Mark, not the book of Mark, but the book of Mark. I don't know what a book is, but anyways, again, there's no laughing. That one was funny. Book is a funny word, regardless of what you people think. So we started talking about Mark, and last week we got into, which to start with, we went back to Malachi to answer the question or ask the question, where's the God of justice? We got into Mark. The answer from God to the people in Malachi's day was he's coming, you get to Mark, and he's here. There's going to be a messenger from Malachi 3, messenger's John the Baptist, and Jesus shows up and begins his ministry. And so we're going to pick up today in Mark 6. Last week we talked about Jesus calling four men to discipleship to walk behind him. And we talked about the sacrifice that those people had to make, leaving their homes, leaving their families, leaving their jobs, leaving all that they had known to then walk behind Jesus 
which was a major sacrifice that then cost them all their lives except for John. And then today we're going to talk about and focus in on sacrificial giving from Mark 6 and John 6. We're going to take the feeding of the 5,000 and look a little more in depth on uh, a specific part of that story in giving a sacrifice. If we go to Mark 6, uh, chapter chapter 6, verse 30, um, if, if you look at the Gospels, all four of the Gospels account the story, but they do it in a, in a unique way. Matthew and Luke um, do it fairly briefly and don't go into great detail. Mark goes into a little more detail, and then John slaps down detail like crazy. And so that's where we're going to focus in, just to pull out some things. Again, we've talked about the different perspectives in the Gospels. When you have a story accounted for multiple times, it, and we're going to look today some of them differ in how it's read. If you were just to read straight through and look at it on the surface, you would think, okay, you've got some problems here. And something's happening because these things aren't matching up. And we've talked about that's not the case when you have multiple accounts of the same story. You just get a fuller picture. And so today we're going to get a full picture of the feeding of the 5,000. So verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that, he, uh, all that they had done and taught. He had just sent the disciples out and they'd come back. Verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that I can go, so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages, buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would, that would take eight months of a man's wage, or eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and to spend that much on bread and to give it, and to give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have here, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five, uh, five loaves, obviously, and two fish. When Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces of the bread and fish, the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So here you have just, like I said, this is not real in-depth. Mark just addresses, here's where they're, they're at. They get in a boat. They go to a remote location. They get out. There's all these people who've come up. They've seen Jesus going. They run. They chase after him, and he teaches them. And he gets out, and the disciples say, hey, these people are hungry. We need to send them away so that they can go to the villages and the towns so they can go get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And they respond with, that's impossible, Jesus. Or not, not that it's impossible, that's really not that smart. Eight months of a man's wages. Really, should we be doing this? Should we spend our funds this way? Is that the smartest thing for us to do? And he goes on and says, how, many, how, many, how much food do we have? We've got five loaves of bread and we've got two fish. Great, have them sit down, number them off, pass it out, let's go. Grace for it, they all eat. So you've got a miracle. Mark is writing, we've talked about it before, Mark is writing to defend who Jesus is. He's writing into, more than likely uh, to the city of Rome. He's sending this and making a defense for who Jesus is because Jesus was crucified. You have the message shows up in Rome. Hey, we're going to talk to you about and share the gospel. God sent, 
his son, God became man and died for us and he died on a cross. And Romans respond with, why in the world would God be crucified as a criminal? And so Mark is responding and defending Christ dying, but defending the person of Christ and who he is. So he's telling his story about the divinity of Christ. And let me tell you and share with you a miracle of what God did. And so Mark goes through that. Let's go to John. John 6 is where you're going to flip. If you have a Bible, if you don't, um, you're just going to have to imagine it because we don't put it on the screen. I don't do anything on the screen. Videos, skits, none of that. I will do a dance, though. I'll film a dance and show that if you'd like. Mm, I guess. <laughs> don't, don't. Okay, I won't do that. Okay, John 6, and it, it starts in verse 1. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miracle sign, miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Let's stop just for one second. So you've got Jesus. He's doing ministry. He's teaching in the area of Galilee. And he gets on a boat and he crosses to the southwest side. It says he goes to Tiberias, which is on the southwest side of Galilee, which is a town where they had, it was, it was famous for these hot springs they had. And it was believed to cure skin ailments and, and other diseases that people had. They would go there for treatment. And so Jesus gathers his disciples. He's been teaching. He's been healing people. And he gets in a boat, and they go from the northeast side, which Luke accounts them being in Bethesda, which is northeast side. And they travel down to the southwest side, and he goes to where more people are going to be. It's a very interesting concept. Just before this has all happened, Jesus has learned about John the Baptist, who is his cousin, who is also, we talked about at the beginning of Mark. He's the forerunner, the one prophesied in, in Malachi 3.1. That God is going to send a messenger to prepare the way, prepare people, prepare mankind for God to show up. John is arrested by Herod, and then he's beheaded, and Jesus learns about that, and he's saddened by that. And so he withdraws for, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 14, accounts for Jesus withdrawing and taking a time of mourning and of rest, but yet he encounters these people. It's very interesting that Jesus goes from northeast side to the southwest sides where there's going to be more people who are sick. And in Matthew it says he gets off the boat and he sees the crowd and it says he has compassion for these people. And so he goes to them and he heals their sick. And he teaches these folks who are in need. It's a very interesting concept because Jesus is, is going away to be alone, to take some time to mourn, to go through a, a typical human emotion when experiencing death inside a family. But in that process, he goes to where people are going to be in need. It's a great picture of Jesus calls four men and then calls another four, 12 minutes, what is that? Eight? Another eight guys to follow him and walk behind him. And in doing so, he's teaching them. Here's how you have compassion on people. You go where they're at. Last week we talked about Jesus calls these four men. He calls Peter and Andrew and James and John and says, leave your nets and walk behind me. And where does he go? He goes to where people are in need. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to go where there are people in need. 
if we're going to make a sacrifice to love people, to reach out to make an impact for the kingdom of God, we've got to sacrifice comforts of our own. We have to put ourselves in positions where we're going to be around people who need, who need compassion, who need love, who need money, who need resources, who need food, who need our time. All of those things, we've got to put ourselves in a position. And we can very easily, in America, we can position ourselves, our families, in a spot to not do that. I mean, we, we can take, as a family, you can begin to raise children, and you can get involved in your church, and you can do, and I'm going to, I'm going to say some things that would probably be offensive, and I don't mean them as offensive, I'm just going to list off some things that we can do, though. And I'll intersperse in between so I don't offend anybody, including my own family. But, we can take our kids and raise them. We can put them in a church preschool. We can take them from church preschool and we can put them in a private school or we can do a home school. And again, these things aren't bad. I did this with my kid. Uh, my wife went to a private school, which is a great thing for her, and I think that's fantastic. And another part of our family does homeschool, and I think that is fantastic. But at the same time, it can be a Christian runaway, let's get in a bubble. I don't think it always is, but it can be very easily for us to withdraw from the world. Let's protect ourselves, let's protect our kids, let's protect our family, and let's get in our little huddle, and let's be in our community right here, and inside we're good. And I'm not going to stick myself in a situation. So we put our kids in the, in the church preschool, we put them in private school, we raise them that way, all the events we do are at church, we got a basketball league, we can do it at church. What all can we do inside our church? Let's keep it all in there. we got a small group. That's how we do our relationships. We build our community by what? We go to church, and then we have a small group at our church, and we go to somebody's house at church. That's what we do. We church it up. We are church people. And what does that do? That puts us in a spot to, yeah, we're going to encounter people who need, but we're not positioning ourselves and our families in a spot where we can really make big impacts where we are going to encounter people who are hurting, who are in need. It would be totally different if we decided, hey, I'm going to do a small group. How am I going to do that? I'm not going to talk to anybody at my church. What am I going to do? There are five families that live around me. That's where I'm going to start. Hopefully with the idea of bringing these people together and living in a community, because why? we already live in a community. That kind of makes sense. But whether they come to church or whether they come to small group, it allows you to put yourself in a position, I'm going to put myself where people who are not godly, who are not a part of the kingdom, the community of God, are. So I'm positioning myself to where I can be of use. And that can be the same with schools. And again, I think homeschool, I think private school, I think preschool, I think those are fantastic. And I think they have their place and have their need. And my wife had a great experience in, in private school. It's fantastic for her. I went to public school, and I didn't have a fantastic experience. And we talk now. You don't you guys even care. It doesn't matter. It's a moot point. But those are things that we can do to draw ourselves out of making an impact. But yet Jesus shows these men, as they walk behind him, I am in need, and I'm hurting, and I'm mourning. And where am I going? I'm going to where people need God. And these men follow behind. So he goes to Tiberius. There's a great crowd of people following him because they saw the miracles he performed on the sick. 
Jesus goes up on a mountainside and he sits down with his disciples. And then John wrote this, or the or the Johannian community. There's an argument whether John wrote this or it was influenced by John in the community that he majorly influenced and that wrote it. Traditionally, they ascribe this thing to John. Polycarp and Arrhenius, I think, is how you pronounce that name. Uh, both tie it back to John. Who uh, you guys don't even care. I'm sorry. Let's just say John wrote the thing. But John gives these specific details. He gets in a boat. This is where he goes. He gets out. He goes on a mountainside. He sits down. And then John says, it was the Jewish Passover feast, or that was near. It's very interesting. And again, it just supports. Who's John writing to? John's writing to, or the book of John goes to a community that's predominantly not not Jewish. If it was, he wouldn't have to specify the Jewish Passover. You could say Passover and Jews know what. We know what this is. You don't have to remind us this this is a Jewish holiday. And so it's like telling an American what July 4th is. Oh, that's an American independence celebration. Oh, is that what that is? I had no idea. So, I mean, it just makes sense for John is writing to predominantly Gentile community and telling him, and he's describing, here's where Jesus is. Here's the time period where Jesus is at, or just on the calendar. What's happening right now? Verse 5 says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And so in Mark, we have Jesus addresses them and says, hey, let's feed these people. And John is a little more specific and says, Jesus looks at Philip and says, where are we going to buy some bread? And Philip goes, seriously? Again, this isn't a wise decision, Jesus. That's, we're going to spend eight months' wages, and everybody's going to get a taste. What's the point? It's very interesting if you go back and look at Matthew and both Mark. Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. We talked about last week when God tells us to do something. He's very specific. He's very direct. You're not going to be confused about it when God calls you to do something. Is another great picture of God telling somebody to do something. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, give them something to eat. And he tells them to do something that isn't possible. And we see the reasoning. They're responding, this is, Jesus, this isn't happening. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We don't have, well, I guess we have the time, but we'd rather not take time to do this. In verse 8, it says, another of his disciples Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? The other three accounts, as Jesus is talking, he'll say, what do we got? You give them, some, you give them something to eat. There's a conversation, and Jesus says, well, what do we have? And the response is, we have five loaves and we have two fish. Which is, you know, basic concept. It's easy communication. We understand that. What do they have? They have five loaves of bread and they have two fish. Good job. How how could John be more detailed about it? But yet he is. And John writes and he says, what do we have here? And they say, okay, we got a boy. The boy's not addressed in any of the three stories. You don't get to know where the bread and the fish come from until you get to John. And John is the last gospel that's written. So, again, we have a fuller picture you got three of these accounts, and then John shows up, and now we get to find out where's the bread and the fish come from. Well, there's a little boy that's got it. It says there's a little boy here, and not only does he have five loaves of bread, but there's five small barley loaves. 
Let me tell you what kind of bread it is so you're not confused about what we had. So we got some rolls here. And what else we have? He says he has two fish. Now, this is the only time that the term that John uses for fish is ever used. It's actually translated as a tidbit that goes with bread. The other three accounts list a fish that is prepared and ready to be eaten, which is actually, if you were to say it in Greek, would be ichthus, which if you guys don't know what that is, it's a little Christian symbol they made. It's very interesting because once you get to the persecution era and they would draw the little fish to communicate who is a Christian in that whole day, most of you have heard that story. I'm not sure if you have or not, but if you have it, I'm not going to tell it. It's very interesting, though, that we use the fish or they use the fish and term the fish of one that would be prepared to eat. Because there are different terms to be used. One would indicate just a fish that's swimming around. Ichthus is actually a fish who's been caught, prepared to be eaten, is now a symbol for a Christian. It's a very interesting concept. Hey, we're all fish, ready to be eaten. Here we go. But here John uses a different term, and I think to communicate an even smaller concept of what Jesus had to work with. The other three account for, hey, here's a small fish ready to be eaten, goes with bread, sure. John wants to be a little more detailed about the lack of resources that Jesus is working with and says, we have five rolls and a tidbit that goes with bread. That's what we got, Jesus. Is this a good decision? They say, but how far will they go among so many? We got 5,000 men here, Jesus, and we got a boy's lunch. We don't know how old he is, but we're going to assume he doesn't eat much because they listed his lunch here. So this guy's not like a 17-year-old kid who's going to eat three lunches in one setting, but rather just a little guy. And he says, this is what we have. How's it going to work? Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000. Again, here we have the detail. There's a lot of grass there. It was a nice place to sit. Just to paint the picture for you, it was grass. The men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and they filled the twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves. Left over by those who had eaten. Again, you have this story that John is telling. And John writes for the basic principle of winning people to the kingdom of God. John's whole purpose is to let me share the gospel with the world. That's why John's written. And in doing so, again, they're making a defense of the divinity of Jesus. But he's also describing very intently this miraculous event that God performs. Jesus is doing what what he always did in teaching and healing people and having compassion. But not only that, he recognizes a physical need of those who are there. And he says, let's feed these people. Let's do something that we're not supposed to be able to do. And tells the twelve disciples, you feed them. You go do something that you can't do. And they say, okay, this is what we got. Jesus prays for, sits these people down in a nice, soft, grassy area because he cares about them and he loves them. He wants them to be comfortable. And he begins to distribute the food. He prays for, 
ask a blessing on. It's a good, here's a good example right there. When you sit down at the table, pray for your food. Thank God for what you got. Jesus did it. Good practice. But he thanks God and begins to pass out. And there's, what is it, 12 baskets? 12 baskets of leftovers. Again, John says of the barley loaves and the fish. Just heightening the divinity of Christ. God showed up in flesh and, and did whatever he wanted. When he wanted to feed people, he fed people. When he wanted to go somewhere and share the gospel, he went to where people needed him. He went to those who were sick. He put himself in a position to minister to those even when he was hurting. Jesus is the picture of unselfishness. I also see that the, the disciples are responding when God said, when Jesus says, do this, even though there's a conversation, they respond with and are a part of something that's bigger than they are. You have 12 men that get to watch five rolls and two fish and they get to partake in separating and handing this stuff out and watch as it continues to go through thousands and thousands and thousands of people to feed them. And then they gather up what's left over. And as they follow behind Jesus and they see the different things that Jesus does, it is building for them the theology of what God is doing with man that then will support and build their case as they go out and share the gospel with the world. So they're getting to be a part of that. Because of their response and obedience, you feed them. Okay. But the other part, like I said, that, that John highlights, you've got this little boy who Jesus takes his lunch and he feeds more than likely 20 plus thousand people, if not more. Because you've got the men who are only counted and you've got their wives and then you've got their kids. And, you know, two kids, not the standard back then. So you've got multiple people running around and then sitting on grass who are needing to eat. And you have a little boy who gives his lunch. And Jesus takes that. And this little boy becomes a part of something that no one else has been a part of. No one else has offered their lunch and fed thousands of people by the hand of God. The, the lesson often falls on, you know, this little boy, what a, you know, what a testimony that this little boy would come up, you know, and the faith that he has in giving, here's my lunch, feed these people. And it's a highlight of this little boy, which is cool, yeah, fantastic, way to go. Jimmy, good job. I don't know if his name was Jimmy, but let's call him Jimmy today. And so he offers this lunch. And in all reality, we don't even have his name. I get to call him Jimmy because he's not named. He's not even talked about in the other three Gospels. The highlight is not Jimmy and Jimmy's lunch. The highlight is what Jesus did. But yet Jimmy gets to look at it and go, I got to be a part of that. That's not for us to look at Jimmy and go, wow. That gets to be Jimmy looking at it and going, oh my gosh. I am in awe of the fact that God would use my lunch to feed these people. It's very evident that Jesus doesn't need this boy's lunch to do something that's impossible. That's very clear. John makes it even more clear. Let me tell you how simplistic and how small this lunch was. Just so you'll know, Jesus doesn't need this. 
But yet, for some reason, Jesus sees fit to involve a little boy and allow him to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the kingdom of God in this specific instance. And the boy gets to make a sacrifice, and he gets to be a part. I don't know the wealth of the kid. I don't know what he had. I don't know money-wise, family We don't know any of those things. All we know is this little boy gave a lunch. This little boy made a sacrifice, and Jesus used it. Our, our churches, it, like I said, we're, we're talking about sacrifice and today, specifically about giving of funds, because our church is entering into a period of getting ready to build another building, expanding, obviously, Rock Point, but expanding the community of God, the kingdom of God, and as we share with the community here in Flower Mound, and go about trying to plant more churches, and I would, I'm not going to give you the whole spiel, because I'm not the pastor, I'm just here to teach you this book. But we're entering into that time, and this is a chance for us to make a sacrifice and be a part of something bigger. And John is very symbolic, and so I feel good about moving John's stuff over and using it here. Obviously, we're not the little boy, we're not the lunch, and we're not feeding thousands of people, and Jesus isn't physically standing here wanting to do that. However, this is an opportunity when God is expanding here at Rock Point, and we get a chance to be a part of that. Does, Does God need our funds? Absolutely not. The direction and, and, and the wisdom and leadership of our elders, our pastor, and what they've decided to do in God's leading, I, I trust is God's decision, and that's where we're going. And God's going to provide, and we're going to get there. But what we can take from John is you have the opportunity to be a part. The little boy had an opportunity to be a part. And he got to look at it and say, I got to play a part in the story of God, in the story of Jesus. I got to be a part of something amazing. In the same way, we get that chance. Specifically right now, it's a financial thing. Absolutely. And I encourage you to pray about, think about, and decide what you want to do. But more than that, what is the sacrifice that we're making? Are we putting ourselves in a position where we're encountering people who are in need? More than giving to a building or giving you know, to that campaign, which is good and great and fantastic, I encourage you to do that. Yes. But more than that, have you put yourself in a position to be unselfish, to sacrifice yourself, to reach those who are in need? Somebody who doesn't have a meal, somebody who doesn't have clothes, who doesn't have shelter, or who needs compassion, who needs love. Have you put yourself in a position to make a sacrifice to provide for those people? Are we doing that on a regular basis? If we're not, if we are not doing that, we are not walking behind Jesus. The way that Jesus clearly showed these 12 men, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be in relationship with God and to be used for his kingdom. is to be unselfish, to be sacrificial, and to give to what God is doing. God is growing Rock Point. You can give to that. Fantastic. There are people who live around you who are hurting, who are needing. We are obligated as believers, as followers of Christ, to put ourselves in a position to sacrifice ourselves to reach those people. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for another chance to come together to worship you, to look at your stories and see what it is you did, how you lived, uh, how you impacted people and learn from God. I pray for opportunities this week uh, for us to follow you, for us to love those who are in need, to recognize opportunities, to 
have the courage, the strength uh, to reach out to those folks, to love them, to support, to, to give in a sacrificial way, God. Please help us to be unselfish. Please help us to love people. Please help us to, uh, to love you, to worship you, and to be impactful for, for your kingdom, for your community, God. We thank you so much for the love you've given us, the grace, forgiveness, and the fact that we get to know you, worship, and celebrate. Uh, again, the simple fact that you're God and we're man and you love us. Thank you for another chance to come to learn to worship. Personally, pray. Amen.